Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more. Not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded and a time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe. Those willing to be uncertain for an hour. Ravinder, you're always uncertain, aren't you? I see that. I'm very willing to be uncertain. Yes, I uh, am very generous with being uncertain. All right, I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment, and that lovely lady is my partner, Ravinder. All right, we invite you to join our chat room by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Rav, I have to ask you, you know, after three weeks, how does it feel to be back live? You know, I think it's really cool. I enjoyed, um, you know, having some time off and some of the tra- traveling we we did. Um, so we, you know, we've had lots of fun. We went down to Zion's and Bryce, and that is God's country. So that is absolutely fabulous. But the last uh, week now, I have been working on booking guests to come on the show, and we've got a really exciting lineup coming. So it's actually really exciting, um, and it's to me, it's a great way to learn without being in school because we get exposed to you know all of these different guests and all of their different ideas so yeah i'm excited about it well i am too you know the fact is uh, i always imagined what it would be like uh as a child i used to think you know wouldn't it be great if i could have this round table and 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 I could bring all these people to the round table, you know, and um, the Saint Augustines and the Saint Anselms and the, and the Albert Einsteins and the Socrates and 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 so on and so forth, and and just you know get into their minds, just ask them questions, just watch them interact and see where. And in a sense, to me, that's exactly what our radio show is about. So it's not light and airy and. Sometimes I hope it's inspirational, but I do find this show to be very informative. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's great. All right. When we're gone, we do replay some of what we think are our best shows. Um, And, you know, we only do that when we're forced to travel. Um, To that end, we received this note from Joan. Are you guys okay? I have missed you the past couple of weeks. Well, thanks for the concern, Joan. We uh, do so very much appreciate your loyalty and continued support, indeed, of all of our listeners out there. Isn't that so, Rav? We do indeed. It's uh, it's a great group. It's it's it's, it's, it's we, we are part of a very special club. That's how I see it. People trying to learn, trying to better themselves, trying to be informed, you know, trying to make right choices. It's a process. It's a journey, and it's fascinating, and I enjoy sharing that with our audience. All right. In this week's Spotlight, I wish to discuss the nature of bias in a unique, different way, uh, particularly those biases that most fail to recognize as a bias at all. Last week, I read and shared a new study that showed that men have a working advantage over women in terms of promotional identity, in part simply because of how and when we use surnames. For example, when talking about famous people, do you say Darwin, but Marie Curie? Dickens, but Emily Dickinson? Shakespeare, but Jane Austen? What's in a name or part of a name matters. In eight different studies, research at Cornell University yields some very interesting facts about the use of surnames, referring to the sort of biased judgment that arises as a result of referring to men by their last name, but women by their full name. Melissa Ferguson, professor and chair of psychology in the College of Arts and Sciences, had this to say, quote, 
This sort of judgment could result in more recognition, awards, funding, and other career benefits, and suggests that a subtle difference in the way we talk about women and men might lead to bias. Think about our culture for a moment. We're all aware of biases that potentially exist due to various forms of socialization, biases having to do with race, color, creed, and so forth. But how often do we stop to think about the use of everyday language and how it might predispose a bias? The implicit association test developed at Harvard University evaluates various biases, and you can take the test online for free. What it often fails at informing us, however, is how many of these biases are perpetuated by the language we use. Language that uses labels defines a conversation. A label becomes a definition. And if you control the definition, you control the argument. When we say someone is white or black, etc., we have added a dimension to the fact that we're speaking about human beings. A recent Facebook post stated that the person posting was proud to be white. What does that communicate to any semi-sensitive person? I answered this post uh, with a statement of my own, quote, I am grateful for life and proud to be human. But what difference does color mean? Racism will continue to exist until we stop differentiating people according to the color of their skin. Close quote. I think we should make a conscious effort to minimize and eliminate labels that define differences between people as much as we reasonably can do so. Until we do, I'm of the mind that we will forever be dividing ourselves against ourselves. My thoughts anyway, what are yours, Ravinder? You know, I think it's a really interesting subject. Uh, It's easy to cling on to old ways of doing things and old ways of thinking. Um, The example you gave in the beginning about using a woman's full name, where a man, you frequently just use his last name and... You know, I hadn't, I wasn't aware of that. I mean, I found that really very interesting. But I think when you, I think back then when they were using the full name for a woman, it was really an expression of uh, the surprise that a female could be as successful. You know, they take it for granted that guys are going to be successful, but this is a woman. And so they go by the full name. And I think that's really weird. But I can think back to, when I was a a child. I don't think it's the same right now. I'm actually not sure what protocol is, but it was pretty common to call a woman by her husband's name. So we could have an invitation sent to us to Dr. and Mrs. Eldon Taylor. You know, people could call me Mrs. Eldon Taylor. And that used to be the way that it is. I don't think anyone does that anymore. But that is one of those examples of um, how a female is perceived in society. So back then, she was definitely, and also Anne, the inferior, the part of. um, You know, and I think you're stringing on to a point that they didn't cover in this study, you know. And that point is, we all know that we're coming from, you know, very male-oriented history, all right? Paternally controlled society. Women took the men's name, so instead of you being Ravinder Sedana, your maiden name, you're Ravinder Taylor, okay? Now, when you referred to a woman, is it possible, just possible, that the reason you couple both names is to recognize the surname, which in most cases is a married name, when you're talking about, you know, um, levels like Marie Curie? I, I don't know. Uh, I, I find... I do find that there is quite a difference, and I had never given it any thought before reading this study, uh, between how we respond to women. I also find it, uh, found it a little bit paradoxical that the professor who conducted the study was herself a woman and did not refer to herself as 
uh, nor did the article refer to as professor. Instead, it referred to her in her full name, first and last name. So, uh, you know, who knows, all right? Bottom line is we divide ourselves against ourselves and we don't pay attention to these things. And, and there's, there's subtle, implicit uh, biases. I think the important part to that, though, is that how we look forward. You know, it's easy to hold on to old ways of doing stuff. But, you know, I had some resistance to this idea of, well, you don't have mankind anymore. It's, I don't know, person, I don't know what it is. But the, the sensitivity around that was something that I didn't understand before. But I think I do have a better understanding now. And I do think words are important. That said, I do think the PC will. You know, I'm going to say that we could, we could have a whole conversation about this. All right. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Our last live show featured Dr. Jacob Lieberman, and we discussed his discoveries about light as a spiritual science. And he wrote, I didn't get it. How do we see without a rise? Well, that's a very good question, Annie. I think he was referring to some sensitivity uh, to light uh, that we're able to recognize. But we've got Dr. Lieberman coming back to the show again, so we will be fleshing that out further. CB wrote, it makes sense that our cells may be more sensitive, reactive to light than we think. Most people don't realize how translucent our skin is. You can put a strong flashlight up against your fingers and see them illuminate. However, I'm not so keen on the guest generalizations, but I do appreciate the food for thought. Beth wrote, great show. Moving on, Monica wrote, I have been using Intertalk products for some time now and have had great results. David wrote this about our Intertalk program, Fear of Rejection. This program is absolutely amazing. After just listening to it, I started to feel no fear whatsoever for any reason with other people. Literally, after my first day of listening to this Intertalk program, my fear of rejection is all but completely gone, and the results feel fast and the impact lasting. DR had this to say, and I think you took this one yourself over the telephone, Ravinder. Quote, Your program, Freedom from Pornography, literally saved my life. My marriage, business, and relationship with my family were all suffering due to the fact that my life revolved around pornography. Once I started listening to this program, I immediately started to feel and experience amazing results. My urge to watch and to consume porn started to completely vanish. Also, the quality of my marriage and business life started to improve tenfold. All I can say is thank you for creating this program because it was exactly what I was looking for and much more. Is that the one you took? It is. It is. I I talked to him and he went on and on about, you know, how much his life had improved. Yeah, you talked about the problems, you know, that are involved with being obsessed with pornography. And it is a common problem out there. But he went on about, you know, how it was destroying his marriage and destroying his family and, you know, taking up all of this time. And, uh, yeah, he, I mean, he, he was just so grateful. It's what makes the job so much fun. And that's why I answer the phones as much as I do. I really like those types of calls and I get them regularly. Well, that's great. Okay, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but we do love your comments, so please keep them coming. You can opine by writing to me at Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at EldonTaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. We do sincerely appreciate your thoughts and ideas. Now to today's show, Billions Lost, the American Tech Crisis, and the Roadmap to Change with Hillary Gamm. Now, Hillary's been on the show before, but for those of you who may have missed that show, well, two things. First, you should go listen in the archives to her first show. Second, let me tell you something about her. Hillary Gamm, a pseudoname, uh, is a nationally known expert and leader in the technology industry. Her groundbreaking research reveals the destruction of U.S. tech and paves the way for a better future with a roadmap for change. 
Her book explains the impact of losing IT jobs to overseas markets and how the offshoring of U.S. technology and data opens the door to set our economy, national security, and educational system at risk. This book has been on my desk for about a month. Billions lost. I have been through this book more than once. I cannot recommend it too highly. You owe it to yourself, and as this show will bear out today, there's information in this book every one of you need to be aware of, whether you're in the tech industry or you're just using a tech device. So on that, let's get her in here. Welcome back to Provocative Enlightenment, Hillary Gam. Hello, sir. Thank you so much for having me back on the show and giving us an opportunity to talk about technology and and the country that we live in. So thank you so much. Well, it's indeed my pleasure. I've been looking forward to you you coming back to the show because there were so many things that we didn't flesh out. But to begin with, you heard today's spotlight. Hillary, what are your thoughts on how we use labels in language? I thought that was such a great opening and so interesting, right, for most Americans to hear. Because one of the biggest problems we have, I think, as a nation, and you'd probably agree with me, Eldon, is that so many of us um, sometimes come to situations where we have our mind made up and we don't come to things with an open mind and an opportunity to look at other perspectives or maybe ideas of how to solve a problem that we're trying to solve or approach a situation that we've approached in the past and failed at. And I think labels sometimes create an opportunity to kind of close ourselves off from being able to enter into a dialogue. And I think that's at the root of why we have so many issues today in the United States, like you said earlier, around politics and around the ability to debate and around the ability to have intelligent discourse. And one of the reasons in the book that I really tried to stay apolitical is because I'm an American citizen. I wrote the book to help Americans, to help American children, and to provide a better future for our country. And I'll be, I'm willing to partner with anyone who wants the same uh, goals that I do to achieve those same goals. And I'm willing to partner, you know, with anybody who kind of shares those same values just to make things better. I so do agree with you. Uh, but to that end, you know, the PC movement has led to many changes in our language. And as you know, if you control the definition, you will control the argument. So the undocumented is an undocumented is an example of how this is done, for it's quite different to refer to a person as undocumented versus illegal alien. How much of these definitions, this PC influence, do you think is all about controlling the argument? And what are your thoughts about this whole agenda? because it impacts us in every walk of life, including how we view, um, you know, trade deals, um, how we view uh, outsourcing, uh, which is an interesting word in and of itself, etc. Where are you on all this, Hillary? Well, you know, I wrote the book because I felt that people in the United States didn't really understand the number of jobs and the real opportunities that were being lost for folks in the U.S. And I think that labels associated, you know, around technology workers uh, many times create a situation where American technology workers sometimes aren't even given an opportunity to even apply for jobs, interview for jobs, or even ever be in a position to be hired for jobs. So one of the things that has to do with you know, labeling and kind of preconceived ideas when it comes to technology has to do with age. And, uh, you know, when, we, when people are interviewed or potentially applying for a job, if they're a certain age, uh, they assume that they don't understand the latest technology or can't grasp the latest concept. And there's this idea that um, they're unable to do the work. And... There, you know, in that situation, it's not even a label. It just has to do with a date, right? I mean, and, and people are very good about, you know, creating resumes now or putting their information out there and trying to avoid, you know, necessarily 
providing information which gives them background as to how old they are. But in that situation, whether you're a man or you're a woman, or regardless of where you're from, whether you're from outside the U.S., whether you're an American citizen, irregardless, that date or how old you are um, really determines whether or not you're going to even be able to have an opportunity to discuss an opportunity for work in the technology field. And that, to me, is really scary. Gotcha. You know, okay, I'd like to pick up where we left off, Hillary, but that might not be fair to everyone listening in that missed our first show. So by way of clarification, your research shows that outsourcing our technology is potentially disastrous consequences. Let's take that apart piece by piece uh, to the extent that we can in the time that we have. What do you see as the number one threat to outsourcing IT? As you have uh, discussed before on your show and also in the book that you wrote, Gotcha, which I love, by the way. Uh, Ravinder sent me a copy and it is, is terrific. When you control information, right, you're controlling basically how people are receiving the information and interpreting it. And when we send all the work outside the U.S. and we send the data outside the U.S., we're opening up the country to incredible amounts of risk. Uh, we are not necessarily going to have our data or our technology under the auspices of American law, uh, which is, you know, a certain concern to many Americans. And certainly in Europe, in May of 2018, they passed the laws associated with Internet and data. And the U.S. hasn't done that yet. So those are the kinds of risks that we open ourselves up to as individuals and as a nation, when we give over our data and we give over our job in terms of how we manipulate anything in the digital world uh, to outside uh, venues that we can't necessarily control uh, with our laws or even have any influence over because they're not within uh, the United States. You know, to, to that end, I, I have to... I, I, Two things just immediately come to my mind. The first one was, just today, my pretty bride, who would run away from pornography, received uh, an email. And it's a scam email. And it, it essentially said, you know, we have your password. It listed out her password. Said, we took over control of your computer. We recorded the time you spent on porn. And we think it uh, should be agreeable to you to pay X number of dollars uh, in order for us to keep this secret. Isn't that pretty close to what it was, Pretty Rev? much. They wanted 3,000 Bitcoin. Otherwise, they were going to send footage of me watching porn out to all of my contacts because they had access to my computer and they had all of that, all of that stuff. This is, this is a current scam that's going on, and there's a site out there, and, and people are talking about this scam, etc. But the password they had was a valid password. So they, they have somehow, from data, as you say, taken this password, or individual passwords, and put this out. So to the average person, it's going to look like, oh, my goodness, and, and I suppose if you'd ever watched porn, you, you might be a little more sensitive than my wife who looked at this and said, yeah, sure. Uh, is that just, that's just a tip of the iceberg in terms of the abuses that can occur as a result of sharing data this way? True or false? No, absolutely true, right? So what happens now today in, in the U.S., is everywhere every citizen goes, anywhere you go in terms of buying something. You know, people aren't thinking twice when they give their address, they give their name, they're purchasing things from a variety of different locations, um, whether it's in person or online. That information is going to databases. And as much as, you know, these companies or organizations are assuring you that your data is safe, your information is safe, your photograph is safe, it's not. Everything's hackable. And I, I talk about it in the book. I've talked about it before on radio. I've talked about it before on the show. Everything's hackable. Every individual in the United States has to remember that all of your data 
and everything about you is private. It belongs to you. It doesn't belong to anyone else. And before you willingly give your photograph and your address and your social security number and your credit card and have it automatically deduct you know, money from your account every month or pay your mortgage electronically or send you know, your children's information about school uh, to, to an account, you know, remember that you're opening yourself up to risk. And once information's on the Internet, it's hackable by anyone. Um, and so that's really, really important for Americans to understand. Very important. We've got a break coming up here. When we come back, I'm going to ask you, I mean, we recently were informed that our, by our intelligence folks that the Chinese in particular are infiltrating our campuses and stealing technology. I'm going to ask you about that. Yeah, we're speaking with Hillary Gam about her work and book, Billions Lost. Again, go get this book. You can learn more about our guest by visiting her website at Billions Lost Book. One word billionslostbook.com now we have a video for you today reviewing the hidden costs of outsourcing in our chat room so if you're not already over there do so now provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat we'll be right back you're listening to provocative enlightenment with elton taylor change has never been easier whether you wish to lose weight stop smoking build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra-prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it until I used InnerTalk. Vicki wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD, and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your InnerTalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're chatting with Hillary Gam about her work and book, Billions Lost. You can learn more about our guest by visiting her website at billionslostbook.com. Okay, you wrote and we listened. I mean, we received a lot of requests to bring the music back to our show. So, once again, we will be asking our guests for their favorite music, music that has some true significance to them. For as you know, music psychology is not just a hobby of mine. It is a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. Right to that end, Hillary, 
Your chosen music is Bruno Mars performing You Can Count On Me. Uh, Why is this music important to you, and how does it inform us about who you are? I want you to know that you can count on me, Eldon, for supporting you, (laughs) because I'm so proud of your show and what you and Ravinder do every week to give people an opportunity to have an open mind and think about things differently than they have in the past. And for all those technology workers in the U.S. who are scared to talk about the fact that they're being threatened at work or that they've been laid off, they're the most reticent group of individuals I've ever had the pleasure of being in contact with. They're just afraid, you know, the, the technology has really silenced them. You know, technology has silenced a generation of technologists, and they just don't speak out, and it's really hard for them to talk about the fact that they're unable to be employed, unable to get jobs, and unable to have any movement. And so I want them to know, if they're listening today, that I am doing everything I can, and I'm here for them. And I'm trying to lend a voice to something that's very important for them and their families and the future of the United States. Cool. All right. As I promised before the break, uh, our intelligence people have recently informed us that the Chinese have been integrating uh, students in our campuses, uh, earning their master's and their PhDs so that they can get to government-funded technologies that they're stealing and taking back to China. And that apparently this occurs at many universities, um, almost all of our major universities. And I would imagine the Chinese are not alone. I mean, what are your thoughts on this, and, and what does your background tell you? Is, is, is this something that uh, we should be concerned about? Yes, the United States, absolutely. We should all be super concerned about it. So what happens is there's over a million uh, Chinese students on uh, visas today, the F-1 visa in the United States, and they're studying a variety, um, pretty much almost all the universities, higher education uh, locations in the U.S., and they, there's a bulk, really a bulk of Ph.D. students across the STEM majors in the United States are typically foreign students. They're no longer U.S. students uh, because they can't afford it. Uh, they're too much in debt. And so many times uh, the Chinese government actually is sponsoring uh, their children to get the Ph.D.s specifically to maneuver them into positions where they'll have sensitive information. So the story was right on. So if we think about the United States defense contractors like Northrop Grumman, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, they have always been doing research at major U.S. universities that they're paying for and sponsoring, as has the United States government. And so what happens is that in these Ph.D. programs, you have access and opportunity to not only understand the newest advancements, but also to understand what what is actually working. So when we talk about nuclear engineering, we talk about, um, you know, missile defense, we talk about satellite technology, all that information uh, that the students are studying and writing papers on, uh, these foreign children are having access to, and they bring them back to their country. In fact, if you remember, there was an article written about North Korea. And mm-hmm. how did North Korea establish its nuclear arsenal. It did that through education by going, I believe, into China or the Chinese went to North Korea. I forget exactly how that communication happened, but it was through the Chinese um, studying what was going on in the U.S. in terms of nuclear uh, energy. That was how that they got their full education on, you know, all things related to uh, their nuclear armament. So, you know, it it, it's very real. It's a real real issue, and it's, it's happening every day. And I think it's uh, great that uh, there were some stories written on it. Okay. Now, you know, sometimes we, we get signals of a disconnect. Um, if I understand your recent blog, um, IT companies are laying off workers. It's harder for college graduates to get jobs in that area. Uh, and yet, if you look at, at the the NASDAQ, which basically represents these IT companies, you see that, well, as today, it reached a new high. So, two-part question. First, 
how do we get this kind of a disconnect? Because obviously those investors believe that whatever is going on, including the outsourcing, is ultimately going to make them a lot of money. And, and that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And, and second, um, it would appear that we're putting more and more people through these um, expensive programs in universities to become IT experts. Um, is this kind of is this going to become like the days of the engineers when we had the shortage of engineers and suddenly we had altogether too many engineers and engineers were working at McDonald's? I'll let you unpack all that for me. I'm just aware that there is this disconnect and and I don't see what's happening here. Okay, so absolutely 100% right on the money. There's a disconnect. We see in the news today that there's these great job numbers. Well, most of those job numbers that are looking so good across the nation have to do with blue-collar work. The white-collar workers in the United States of America, especially our uh, recent college graduates, cannot land a job. And so the reason I blogged about it is because I kind of want to set the record straight. So what's happening now is it originally, initially, just white-collar technology workers that were being forced out of their occupations uh, due to outsourcing and offshoring and these foreign captive labor markets that were displacing American technology workers. But the reality is today it's not just technology workers that are losing their jobs. There's accountants who are losing their jobs. There's uh, um, graduates of medical school who are applying for their residencies. I believe the number is over 2,500 uh, this year in 20, 2018 that couldn't even land residencies in the U.S. after they've incurred, you know, three four $400,000 of medical school debt. Uh, and then they can't get a residency because the residencies are going to um, foreign residents that are here, again, on, on F1 visas. And so the reality is that we have all of our children spending money going to college uh, they're having to pay the full cost of college. Uh, in many cases, they're getting minimal scholarships, maybe five, ten, fifteen thousand. They're always need-based, and the same universities are providing sixty thousand dollars year scholarships uh, to foreign children who are coming to the same universities. And the American children are having to pay that export price. So, as American universities, American higher education has become an export which is one of the things I included in the article um, in the blog, what's basically happened is that Americans are paying that export price, and then Americans really have to take out the loans and foot the bill, and then they're graduating, and less than 50% of American STEM graduates are landing jobs in STEM. So specifically, when it comes to technology jobs, one of the things I talked about um, in, the, in the blog and one of the things I speak to in the book is that Americans aren't even getting the opportunity to interview for jobs today. So there's several groups or classes of technology workers that are unable or being forced out of a technology arena in the U.S. The first one is women. Women are on a steep decline in terms of being part of technology in the United States. Second is workers over the age of 50. And the third is college graduates. And the reason that they're having such a hard time getting hired into these technology jobs is because their counterparts are able to work for less money. When you have an American taking a job and you have someone on an H-1B visa taking a job in the same tech shop, that person on the H-1B visa will be willing to work 12, 15 hours a day um, with no complaint because they don't want to lose their visa status and have to go back to their home country. They're doing everything they can to maintain their job and their position. And so because of that, there has been these IT sweatshops that are cropping up across the U.S. uh, in the gaming industry and the various different parts of the United States where you have these huge uh, technology areas, uh, Silicon Valley, Silicon Alley, Research Triangle Park, Texas. You have these places where there's loads and loads of tech workers that are coming from other countries and they're working 12, 15-hour days. And even when American citizens are going in to try to get a job in these um, organizations, you know, they're turned off because there's basically no employee rights. And if they're not willing to work 15, 
nowadays, it's not the right environment for them. And so we hear in the news things are great. You see the NASDAQ, the numbers are going up. Well, every one of those NASDAQ companies, the FANG stock, have foreign technology workers working in foreign lands. So not only are these technology companies hiring uh, visa workers here in the U.S., but they actually opened up shops in foreign countries where the tech labor is a lot cheaper than it is here in the U.S. In those situations, Americans don't even have a chance, you know, for opting into those jobs. Those jobs are gone from the U.S. forever. And so all of these things add up to a very scary picture for the United States moving forward for white-collar workers. They're getting educated, they're getting in debt, and then they're not able to land jobs. And for those workers who are working in technology, what used to be the golden era, which was like, you know, 50s, 60s, and they'd have a lot of PTO time racked up, and they'd be making their biggest salaries, they're getting laid off or being pushed out to early retirement before that happens. And again, being replaced by either labor that's sitting offshore or younger labor in the United States that's willing to work for less money, typically either H-1B visa holders, L-1 visa holders, or students that are on the F-1 visa who maintain their student status so that they can also work in the U.S., or the OPT workers who are the spouses of those that are here on H-1B visas. So all of those things added up take away opportunity and jobs for U.S. citizens particularly in the white-collar profession. I know you want to avoid politics. Yes, I do. <laughs> I, I'm digesting what you're saying there. But, <clears throat> I, um, you know, we, we know that um, it's really easy for us to have biases, and we all have political biases, and indeed we're guaranteed that as a constitutional right, Okay. And you can't ask an employee, you know, what their political bias is, but we know that Silicon Valley has its political bias, and they've been pretty open about making it clear that, well, this is their bias. I have to ask this. Is there some agenda underlying uh, the activities out of Silicon Valley that include the outsourcing that somehow ties into this bias? Well, you know, where Silicon Valley leads, the rest of the United States follows. Yes. So it's, it's important for your listeners to understand that it's not just technology shops that hire technology workers, right? It's our healthcare companies. It's our insurance companies. It's our you know, companies where we keep our 401k, our investment managers. It's our grocery stores. It's our retailers. They're all hiring technology folks. They all have technology stuff. One of the things I blogged about was my favorite real retailer, which is TJX, the owner of uh, TJ Maxx and Marshalls and Home Goods. They laid off hundreds of technology workers uh, this year. Staples, another retailer, laid off hundreds of technology workers. Pepsi, Coca-Cola, I mean, you name it. Every brand, every company you can think of in the U.S. is laying off technology workers. I even heard State Farm Insurance in the Midwest, I believe, laying off over 1,000 technology workers in the near future. So it affects every industry. But where Silicon Valley leads, every other industry follows. If Silicon Valley says something is okay, then the technology executives in all of these other industries, at all of these other companies, think if it's good for Silicon Valley, it's good for us too. And that has led us down this road of sending these jobs outside the U.S. In the book, I talk about the 1990s. I talk about the scare over Y2K, and our country was in a place of hysteria where everyone thought the world was going to come to an end. And if we didn't bring in labor from outside the U.S., then the country would really be in a disastrous situation. The reality is there really wasn't that kind of need. However, it opened the door for this foreign labor workforce. This foreign labor workforce 
is a lot less expensive than the American technology labor workforce. And that means that every company that uses the foreign technology worker rather than the American technology worker is looking to save money and become more profitable. So when you see these highs for these NASDAQ companies that are driving the NASDAQ ever higher, part of the responsibility they have to their shareholders is to make maximum profit. That's the American capitalist way, and I have no problem with the fact that they're trying to maximize profit. But what I do think is a bipartisan issue that does not involve politics, that involves the idea of an American country, is to at least, at a very minimum, understand how many foreign workers are replacing American workers. One of the things I ask in the Roadmap to Change that I think we can all agree on is at a very minimum, when American corporations pay their taxes, have them report how many foreign workers they're using in place of American workers. Not only as direct employees, but also through these outsourcing consulting companies that are using so much uh, labor offshore as well. But I think that's at a minimum what we can ask these uh, companies to do and what we can ask Silicon Valley to do. But Silicon Valley has over more than 50% of Silicon Valley is uh, residents that are not from the United States of America. They are certainly uh, globalistic in their approach and their ideas, um, and they are benefiting and they're profiting from hiring individuals outside the U.S. before hiring uh, Americans. So in your view, if I've got this right, uh, the motive is profit. The reason Silicon Valley uh, executives have made this decision is one of just pure profit. And that was the motive underlying outsourcing in the first place, as I understand. True, false? I don't think it was only pure profit. I think when you have individuals that don't have the same right working for you, um, that American citizens do, it's a lot easier to create environments where people are working 12, 14, 16 hours a day and do not have a family life balance, who can't get married and have a home and have children, uh, who, you know, who are not living the American dream to its full extent. I think every American should have an opportunity to have meaningful, meaningful employment. I think every American should have an opportunity to have life work that's truly work that they can provide for themselves. And I believe that most every politician and every leader, and I think you too, Eldon, agree that it's important to have meaning in life and be able to contribute and feel good about your contribution. Absolutely. But it's also important to actually be able to live and be able to have dinner and have a family if you so choose or take your child for a walk or your dog for a walk if you so choose. And so creating environments where we can hire and employ Americans for a lifetime and know that they have work available to them because they're not being displaced by foreign labor is, is critical to make that true American dream a reality for everybody who wants it. How do you see, I mean, the path back, I mean, uh, how do you see us reversing a trend? As you say, there's 50% of the uh, IT people are from foreign countries. And I'm, I mean, what do you see us doing in order to reverse this trend, in order to, one, bring the technology and the jobs back to America, and two, Stop doing some of the stupid things that we're doing right now, sending data and intelligence uh, abroad, that, especially to countries. Some countries, they can do anything they want to do with the data. There aren't any laws to stop them. I mean, how do we reverse that? And what are you doing, Hillary, to do it? Well, I think the first thing that the American public needs to understand is, is we can reverse things. We, we, we control our own data and we control our own destiny. And as American citizens, we have a vote, we have a say, and we have an opportunity. So I want everyone to feel empowered that they can make a huge difference. And I hope I hear from your viewers today, your listeners today, and they send me an email, let me know that they're inspired and, they're, and they want to help. But one of the things we can do as a nation is we can start educating and providing education for our own children, giving them the opportunities and the best programs in the U.S 
and putting American children first and giving them full scholarships so they're not in debt and giving them opportunities to work. If we have recruiters in the United States who are American citizens and who, who at least will give Americans a chance to even interview for these jobs. You know, I spoke to one gentleman who told me, and I know you and Ravindra will get a kick out of this. He said, nowadays, Hillary, it's harder to get an interview for a tech job than it is to find a mate for life than it is to get married. <laughs> he said it's easier to find someone online to hook up with than it is to get a job interview with a with any any kind of company related to That's tech. crazy. Isn't that insane? It is. It's totally crazy. All right, Hillary, we were about out of time, and I've got so many more questions here. But... In the minute that remains, I want you to share with everybody how they can get a copy of your book, uh, read your blog, uh, where they are to email you, uh, your website, etc. Please share that information. Sure. Uh, website's billionslostbook.com. Again, it's billionslostbook.com. My email is on there, which is hillarygam at gmail.com. And my blog's on there. Uh, I also uh, connect people with a couple of really important organizations in the United States that are working to get uh, uh, jobs back for United States citizens. One is Numbers USA, completely bipartisan. The other is uh, U.S. Tech Workers, again, completely bipartisan. And I'm hoping, Eldon, we get a chance to connect again on radio and talk about women and, and specifically in technology and how we can help them because uh, they're, they're becoming almost extinct. Uh, You're thing. absolutely right. And I, and again, I have so many more questions. This book is an absolute must read if you have any device uh, that uses technology today besides maybe the, what, uh, a 10 key? <laughs> Billions Lost, The American Tech Crisis and the Roadmap to Change by Hillary T. Gam. Be sure to get your copy. I want to thank you, Hillary, for your appearance today. We're going to get you back, and we're going to flesh out some more at a later date. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. Until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.